Welcome to another episode of Sustainable Goat. I'm Steve Cassingham, and I interview the greatest of all time in sustainability from the past, present, and into the future. In this episode, I talk with Kate Weiler, co-founder at Drink Simple. Now, I'm not a fan of coconut water at all. Like, I just couldn't get on board with the flavor, and I was looking for an alternative. And while I was at the store browsing the shelves, I saw this product called Maple Water, and I decided to give it a try, and I've been absolutely obsessed with it ever since. And so recently, I reached out to Drink Simple to have them on the podcast to talk about the sustainability around this product. And it is way more sustainable than you may think, and it plays a key role in forest preservation. So let's dive into the conversation with Kate. Well, I figured we would start with just a little bit about where you're from and what your background is. I mean, Maple Water is such an interesting spot in the market, but obviously like you have a very diverse background too. So I'd love to start with some of that. Absolutely. So let's see my background. I guess I'll start from after college. I went to a small school in Maine, which I absolutely loved and then got into the IT world. So I was in sales for tech and I from Boston. So I think that's kind of how I ended up in the industry because I have zero interest in technology uh, for the most part. And so I ended up in tech and ended up doing IT sales for that. And then it was actually after I did an Ironman triathlon, my first one. And I went through this whole realization that I really was not passionate about IT storage. So I was selling basically huge data center storage solutions. And so it was a several months, but I got to the point where I was just like, I need to do something that I'm passionate about. And I was in my twenties and I was like, I don't want to wake up at the age of 30, which I thought was old. <laughs> and now like I was such a baby. I don't want to wake up at the age of 30 and just be going and moving through the motions and going through this corporate world just because it's quote unquote, easy and making a change is difficult. So I just got up, I quit. I was living down in the Philadelphia area and decided to just move back home to Boston, told my parents I'm quitting with no job and no idea what I want to do. And so at the time, you know, I was into endurance sports. I had done this, my first Ironman, I think I'd done a couple of marathons at the time and was really into nutrition and just very fascinated. This was when Michael Pollan had really come out writing this in defense of food and all these ideas that our food system is being manipulated by big food companies and money and our education system is being (laughs) dictated by money and lobbyists. And I had this huge realization that there needed to be a change in the food system. So I ended up going back to school. I got my master's in nutrition. I also got a holistic degree in New York City. I was managing that. I was working part-time for Lululemon. So I was actually invested. This was in 2009. So I kind of saw... Lululemon was in full swing, but it was definitely the early days and and their marketing and community outreach was actually really intriguing to really be a part of and see. And so fast forward, I was doing another Ironman and with my triathlon training partner, and we were in a coffee shop and stumbled on a small manufacturer's maple water and really had no idea that the water that comes directly from the tree was this natural hydration. And this was in 2013. So coconut water had reached this mass appeal. And so we saw that people were moving away from the Gatorades and vitamin waters and moving to more natural hydration. And yet we were 
a little bit perplexed that as a country, you know, we're shipping coconuts from across the world, yet there was this local resource that came from trees that people were only boiling down to make syrup and they weren't also bottling it as a natural hydration and couldn't believe just how much better it made us feel. And first of all, how delicious it was, how hydrating it was. And it really knocked out any sort of, we would do these long, long training rides and you wake up like on Sunday and you'd almost like be hungover, even though you had no alcohol. And this was like the only thing that knocked out that feeling. And so I hear this a lot from people that drink heavily the night before that it can knock out that hangover feeling as well. But so we just couldn't get this out of our head, like the way it made us feel and realize that University of Rhode Island had just done a research study on that it was primed to be a functional beverage with all the different phytonutrients that were found. And so fast forward several months after this race, we just decided, you know what? we're going to do it, had no idea about the beverage industry and just threw ourselves into it. And we launched Drink Simple the following May. Oh my gosh. What? That's an incredible story. I mean, more so, I mean, where did you start doing endurance sports and Ironman? Because I mean, I also was a triathlete for a long time. You probably still are a triathlete, but I was a triathlete for probably like six or seven years and I did Ironman. And the training that's involved, the mindset, the long rides, the amount of thoughts you have on a long ride is just absurd. What kind of got you into that sport? And I think part of it is also addressing how important that nutrition and fuel is in an endurance sport and how that kind of trickles down to everyday life. Yeah. So my, I mean, I grew up doing team sports. I grew up at soccer, skiing and, and lacrosse and I played lacrosse in college. And it was really when I was 10 years old, I was watching my cousins run the Boston marathon. They were much older than me. So they were at the time they were probably in their, or I think they were in college. So maybe 20 years old. And I was 10 and I looked and I saw them accomplish that race. And I said to myself before I'm the age of 25, again, thinking 25 was old. So there's a common theme throughout this before the age of 25, I'm going to run a marathon. And at the age after college, I think I was 23 or 24. And I said, okay, this promise to myself, I'm running out of time. I need to do it. So I attempted one year and just with life and and work, I think when you're not in that whole mode of training, it can be challenging to really get into that. So I attempted one year to start training and it didn't go anywhere. And then the following year I did. And the reason I got into triathlon was a family friend had done Kona back in the eighties when you essentially, I think could just show up. Yeah. You just go for it. (laughs) Yes. So he had been bugging my brother to do a race and, and my brother was bugging me and I was like, I can't ride a bike at those clippy things. I fall off. I can't do any of that. Like I can run three miles and I definitely can't swim. So why am I doing this? He ended up convincing me because you know, I was easily convinced. And we did one and was like completely bit by the bug. And I was like, this is what I want to continue doing. And so then ended up meeting some people at work. We were lucky enough to have a big pool inside the building connected with these people that had done like 10 Ironman. And I started training with them and they were like, 
Kate, what Ironman are you doing this year? What? Like, I don't know. I've ne- but you've never done one? I was like, no. And they said, okay, well, you're going to do Lake Placid with us. And so. And that's notoriously a difficult one with a lot of hills. Yes. Yes. And so ended up doing Lake Placid and did my first. And then now I've been doing them consistently for the past 14 years. Wow. What do you think it takes, I guess, from an athlete perspective? I mean, you go from most people are, you know, you're like triathlon. Okay. And then Ironman's totally different in terms of distance, mindset, training, nutrition, everything. Where do you think that mindset came from to just kind of push forward through anything? Cause I mean, there are a lot of moments in, in that race where it's not very fun at all. It's very miserable. Do you think that that kind of came across to what you do in business now? Kind of like train that mindset? For sure. I think there's a huge similarity between an entrepreneur mindset and pushing through an Ironman mindset. I I think actually Ironman is easy compared to what the entrepreneurs go through and that mindset. At least I know that (laughs) Ironman's going to be however many hours it takes me in that day and then the pain is over. Whereas I think the entrepreneur, it's like, it's, I mean, they say it's a marathon, but it was, I've done a lot of marathons. It's way worse. So yeah, I think whenever I talk to groups of entrepreneurs, whether it's students in classes or people that are just starting, I think the biggest asset that you can have is a strong mental mindset because it's the lows are going to be really low and the highs really don't make up for it. And you can, you can celebrate the highs, but at the same time, you're going to reach another low quickly. So it, it truly is a roller coaster of a ride. I think I've always had a pretty tough mindset, which has made me pretty decent at being able to really get through Ironman, but actually like race an Ironman and really push through from start to finish and being able to reset mindsets and reset goals. I think a lot of times when you're out there on the course, and if you're not hitting your time goal, a lot of people just give up and they'll like, okay, the day's over. Like, why should I even keep pushing? And I am pretty good at on the fly being able to reevaluate that goal and say, okay, I'm not going to be hitting this time, but that's okay. I'm going to hit this time and do that on the fly. And same thing, I think as being an entrepreneur and in business, like you're not always going to be hitting those goals and then you can't just give up. You've got to reframe what you're looking at doing. And so, yeah, I think there's a ton of similarities and I think that my time and doing these Ironman races probably helped me more in the entrepreneurial world than I even knew when I started getting into it. Yeah, definitely. And you have such a nice overlap between, I mean, the nutrition side of an endurance athlete and what you're doing as a business. Talk about a little bit of that landscape in nutrition, specifically in endurance sports, but also just in general. You have your electrolyte drinks, you have your carby drinks, you have all these different hydration methods and everybody has their methodology. How did kind of maple water fit into that? I mean, did you just kind of have it and start training with it? And then you're like, oh my God, this is like a superpower. Is that how it kind of came about? Yeah. I mean, so I look at it just to frame kind of where we fit in the landscape. We're an everyday hydration with then also being able to use it when you're doing, I would say moderate workouts. So on, if you're talking to endurance athletes, they're like, oh, are you only trained by drinking maple water? And I'm just like, no, because you need maple water is naturally low in sugar. It's really no sodium. And so when you're out doing six hour rides, like you need more sugar and you also need more of the sodium. The beauty is, is like outside of that window, I don't want 
all of that sugar. I don't want all of that sodium, but at the same time, regular water really doesn't hydrate me enough. So you need those phytonutrients and electrolytes and that a little bit of sugar to be able to really optimally hydrate. And so that's where we play in. It's faster hydrating than plain water. So it's great before workout. It's great after workout, or if I'm riding my bike on the trainer for like an hour, two hours, like I'll drink maple water, but there is definitely a role for sports nutrition drinks. So I don't want to say like there isn't that role, but I think for the majority of people out there, whether, you know, your athletes playing soccer, doing those type of things, maple waters are really great hydration because it optimally fits in what most people need states are. And so, yeah, I think just going back to your question about nutrition and in sports nutrition, there's a lot of tons of products out there. Obviously there's a couple of main players that really dominate the space with their billion dollar revenues that really dictate that education and that distribution and being in stores and just being everywhere that you go. But there are some, you know, I think there are a lot of other great products out there that, you know, you can either buy online or from small retailers that can really optimally fuel you, which is so obviously so important for whether you're doing an Ironman or even if you're doing something a lot less like a 5k. Yeah. And so coming from like IT infrastructure and IT sales, and then you have this maple water and you're like, man, this is delicious. Can we do this? I mean, you hadn't started a business before. What was that process like? Literally just diving feet first, head first, diving right into it. Yeah. So we started to really dive into it was around Thanksgiving. And so I think it was the day before Thanksgiving, we started to just cold call people and they weren't getting back to us. It was like Wednesday afternoon before Thanksgiving, who is cold calling on a Wednesday, like before Thanksgiving, just trying to get in touch with people. And so the process really started from trying to figure out as much as possible about the beverage industry. So there's a company called BevNet that puts out articles and shows and events. So we started subscribing to that. We started watching videos of their live events. And then we started picking up the phone and calling maple farmers to understand how can we do this? And I remember thinking too, I spoke with a family friend who was a lawyer. How do I protect myself? I don't want these. They have access to the trees. I don't want them stealing my idea. And we were all nervous about them stealing our idea. And then at one point, it finally needed to come out what we were thinking of doing. And one of them was like, oh, someone, people have been trying to do this for years. It can't be done. I don't know why you're wasting your time. You can't do it. I was like, what do you mean you can't do it? I was like, I had it in Canada. I drank it. It was great. Of course you can do it. He's like, no, you can't do it. And so we heard that over and over and over again. And I think our little piece of what made us successful is that in every phone call, even if it were a negative call and they couldn't outwardly help us, we tried to get one bit of nugget of information and at every call that would propel us to either find the next person And we ended up, it's actually someone we work with to this day, this weird story. I don't think I've ever told this before, but we were at a maple farm and they had a little store and there was this book that was the book of sugar making by this guy. And we, I I was like, I think there's going to be information in here. That's going to be good for us. Meanwhile, (laughs) I don't know why I thought that, but we bought the book and read through it. Two people in that book, we ended up calling and contacting. And that was really big part of the catalyst of getting us to the finish line of being able to actually launch the product. Oh my gosh. That's incredible. That's such a great story. 
Yeah. <laughs> okay. I always believe in there's a reason why everything happens. Like you're just like, oh, well, let's go for this. And then suddenly that leads you down a path that gets you where you need to go. So what is it like when you're thinking about creating a beverage? I mean, tell me how maple water works. So I think there's a lot of misunderstanding around what maple trees do, how maple trees work. Every commercial ever about syrup is like they tap the trees and here comes syrup. Like, yes. And it's really just a sap. So talk me through a little bit about the product itself. How is it actually created? Yeah, there's a huge misconception and that's part of our marketing challenge as well because people think syrup comes out of trees. They think it's very sticky. They think it's sweet. But so we call it maple water, but to be transparent, it is maple sap. When you say maple sap, people think that that is an interchangeable word for syrup. And so it gets very confusing. Um, so a lot of times when I'm talking about the production process, I do use the word sap instead of water. A lot of times I try to stick to just using water so it's clear, but whenever I talk production, I always slip into sap. So the in the springtime, really when the trees are coming from the winter time to the spring, the maple sap, maple water runs up and down the tree and it delivers these nutrients to the tree along with the sugar that's created from photosynthesis during the year. So the functional component there really is, it's, it's not that just this delicious waters in the tree, it's really a functional component of delivering the nutrients to the tree to wake it up from the winter time to the springtime and bring the trees to vitality and grow the leaves and start the cycle all over again. So during that time, we just wrapped up our harvest right now. So it's usually depending on the place. It can be usually early March to all the way to May in some locations, but typically mid-April is what we see around here. And the trees are tapped as the same infrastructure as maple syrup. So when the trees are tapped every day during this springtime season, the water as it's going up and down the tree, it comes out of the tree through the tree tap and only 10% of the water is collected. So it's completely harmless to the tree. And that's one of the questions that we have too. Like, are you killing trees? Are you a tree vampire? Right? I tell the story. My mom was our first sampling lady at grocery stores and she would go and, and of course she's, you know, we're not paying <laughs> she's doing it for free. She's just like a proud mother. And one woman came up to her and started screaming at her that she was killing all the trees and she was a tree vampire. And my mom, of course, my mom didn't really have to even know at the time about those type of stats and the sustainability of it. And actually this is extremely sustainable. And so she just looked at her as like, I know that my daughter is not killing trees. That's all I can tell you. So, so, so the water comes from the tree and this is what we bottle as a hydration. If you're making maple syrup, it would take 40 gallons of this water to boil down to make one gallon of syrup. So that's why syrup is so sugary and sweet and sticky in syrup, but our water is really naturally low in sugar and hydrating and refreshing. And it's full of different phytonutrients. So it's over 46 phytonutrients, antioxidants, electrolytes, prebiotics, polyphenols. It's half the sugar, coconut water. And then it's a topic of the podcast, extremely sustainable. So one of the things I think that really got us into this was the nutritional aspect of it and how it made us feel. And the fact it was a local resource. I mean, it was really into like eating seasonally and eating locally. But what really I didn't fully understand at the time was this practice of maple water is actually preserving North American forests. And so through the business and as we grow, we have the ability to preserve thousands and thousands and thousands of acres 
which through carbon sequestration can mitigate climate change, provide clean air, provide critical habitats for wildlife. And as we scale, it only protects more and more of those trees. And so I think in the past even year, that's when people really started to want to hear that side of the story. We were able to make a change in sustainable packaging, and that really opened up the door to be able to tell the actual sustainability of the liquid inside as well. Yeah, I think that's a huge part of it. I mean, you think when people criticize, oh, you're taking water from the tree, are you draining the trees, are you killing the forests, essentially, that is your lifeblood as a business. Like if the trees aren't there, there's no water in the tree, you don't have a business. So it's really in your best interest to protect that forest and protect the trees and keep them healthy because they keep giving you the product to work for you to actually build a business. And I think that's some of the, I guess, the understanding that I think the market needs to have around building a business specifically in this area. Like you work with nature, not against it, not trying to utilize more of it than you should. I mean, you guys don't utilize that much of the maple I mean, kind of entire forest, do you? No, we don't. And even just in terms of supply, only 1% of the available trees in the U.S. are even being tapped. So there is so much more ability for us to reserve and use more and more trees. But no, at this time, the majority, you know, even of the water is going to maple syrup. But it's funny, no one has that thought with syrup that they're killing the trees. So it's interesting to see that discrepancy when they're viewing our maple water, that it would be killing the trees. And you're exactly right. It takes 40 years to be able to wait for a tree to be mature enough to be able to tap it. So not only if you do destroy them and let's say someone does is irresponsible, it's really not in their best interest because then you have to wait those 40 years. And I mean, by that time, it's... (laughs) we're way past that. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So how does the process work of actually tapping it? I mean, most of the time you always just see the metal taps, they go in and then you're not holding buckets underneath it. Like what's, what's the process look like when you guys actually do the manufacturing? Yeah. So the buckets that you see, or that you see pictures of, that's really what they used to do in the past. Those are more of like romanticized photos, I would say. It's not really how on a mass scale they're currently done on very small farms. They'll sometimes still use the buckets, but for the most part, they're tubes. So there's a tree top and then the tubes all funnel to a much larger tank or silo. And then people go around with their trucks and they go and collect the sap out of the big tanks and then drive it back to a central facility. So, and then we work hand in hand to be able to collect all of that and then bring it to our facility. So it's definitely way more than like one person going out there and like collecting the buckets and and bringing it back. It's, it's more of a sophisticated process now, but the good thing is it really does allow for that scale. It is an expensive process. I mean, it does take human labor to go out and tap all those trees So as we grow too, you would have to go and continue to tap more and more of those trees as well. So when people say like, oh, our product is more expensive than water, obviously. So really that process behind it and and what it takes to get there is a very intensive process. And and we would love to be able to sell it cheaper. But at this point, we're at the price (laughs) where we can actually be sustainable. Definitely. And how does it work with the farmers too? Because I mean, a lot of people who have maple trees on their property. I mean, does this give them 
kind of a way to monetize their property a little bit in a way that they didn't previously get an opportunity to do that? Absolutely. So we work with farmers too, and they're the ones that are going out and tapping the trees. So we're a very lean team. We're not out there actually tapping the trees to do that. But what they, a lot of them will own acres of land. But the great thing about this is it doesn't require people to go out and buy additional land. So there are a lot of people with you know, in Vermont, there's a ton of people that have large swaths of land and they don't necessarily want to sell that land, but they also don't want to tap their trees, but they like the idea of the trees being tapped. So essentially there can be these lease type relationships between farmers and people that own the land where they can pay them for the sap that's collected off of their land, which is great because then we're not in a situation as we're looking to scale saying, okay, is there 10,000 acres of land available that we can buy that would allow or not allow for easy scalability? So it's the complete opposite of being way more nimble. That's awesome. And so when it comes to actually product testing, I mean, did you guys just literally put it into a container? It's like, well, here it is. It's great. Was there any refining that you guys needed to do along the way? Yeah. So that was the tough part. So my parents were selling their house uh, several years ago and I was cleaning it out and found like boxes of all of these bottles that we had bought online. And I don't even remember where we got them, but they were all these glass bottles and like beautiful. And remember I was ordering these bottles online to figure out what aesthetic we wanted and how we wanted it to look and had no idea that beverage processing would come into play. I had no idea that the pH of a beverage mattered of how you could process this, really had no clue. And it was through, again, talking to people, calling manufacturing facilities and having them ask the questions of what's the pH of your product, what's the ingredient, to understand that really pH and processing make a huge difference. And so we quickly learned that our product is naturally alkaline. So it's a low acid product, which added a ton, a ton of complications to how we could package this. And there are very, very few people in North America that can actually do it. And it's very expensive. Minimum runs are very high. Once we figured out that that was the type of processing we needed to do, we took a huge leap in writing a really large check that we probably shouldn't. Well, and now we look back, we should have, but like at the time it was a really huge risk because we had to do such a large minimum run. And we decided that you know this was the safest, best way that was going to keep the integrity of the product, but also make sure that no one would ever get sick, God forbid. So we ended up going that route and we've continued to do that type of processing for our carton products to this day. What's it like when you're making those decisions as co-founder, you're deciding this or that, do we take this big risk? I mean, I think part of that entrepreneur journey is really making those tough decisions and knowing when to do it, when not to, I mean, hindsight's always 2020, but in the moment you're kind of, you're sweating, you're kind of up late at night. You're kind of like, Oh my gosh, what did I just do? Or did I just do the greatest thing for this business? How do you feel like you navigated some of those challenges along the way? Oh, that's a good question. I think, I mean, especially the early days, it was huge. I I think that we, even looking back, we had had a couple other competitors come to market around the same time that we did. And I felt like at the time it's like, oh, it's too late, too much into this to turn around. And now 
eight years later, I'm like, we were not in too deep at the time. But I think it's, we had many conversations, like, are we really going to do this or not? And it's, I think that mentality of, I had that same mentality of, you know what, I'd rather live and go after these dreams than just think what if and have regret. And so I always think back to that. It was we could just continue same thing as when I was, you know, in my tech job, like I could just take the easy path. It was great money, fast forward path. They'd pay for your MBA. They really were trying to grow women leaders given their old boys club mentality. So it was very much like a very safe path, but I was not happy. And so with same thing with the entrepreneur thing is like, you know what, I'd rather go down this path and try and never be waking up saying, what if, what if we were to do that and follow our dreams? And so that really led us to do it. I think following our gut was a very strong point. I would say we stopped following our gut middle of maybe four years in, five years in, had a lot of people in our ear. And I think that that when we followed our gut, we were never led astray. And when we stopped following our gut and listened to people, despite having very strong intuition in the other way, that's when we got into trouble. Interesting. Talk through some of those decisions. Cause I mean, it's one of those things where, you know, in your gut, you're doing the right thing, but everyone's telling you not to, you know, that very much is that entrepreneur journey. I mean, from your perspective, it's all the farmers going, Oh yeah, that's not a business that doesn't work. Go retail, go this, you have all these options in front of you and you have to make those choices. What was that like for you and your co-founder to kind of have those difficult decisions that you had to make? Yeah, I think, I mean, the good thing is for the most part, Jeff and I have always been on the same page with things. I don't want to say that we always agree on everything, but the vision is always the same. And we usually have the same gut feelings and intuition about things. So it's never, we're lucky in the sense we've never truly had disagreements on strategy or that vision. We've definitely had disagreements. I don't want to say we haven't, but it's always, we've always, always been on the same page of how to get there and, and what we should or shouldn't be doing. And we've gone against at the same time, we've both gone against our gut on certain things that we now regret that we did. And, you know, I think a lot of times there's the interesting thing in food and beverage is there's not one playbook, but a lot of people think that there is. And so people that have been successful with a certain playbook, they want you to succeed and it worked for them. So they tell you to follow the same playbook. And so every business is different. And so I think that it's very important to make sure that you know you can follow your gut of what's going to be best for your business. And I'm lucky that you now have some an advisor in particular who's extremely successful, but I think he's one of the people that can look at each brand and business and look at them independently versus just saying like, oh, well, this worked at my former company, even though it was a beverage, you should do that too. Like he recognizes that everything is different and everything should be treated as such. So there were definitely some years we were making decisions based on investors or advisors or things like that. And it was just like, I'm just going to do this because it's going to appease them when at the same time we knew it really wasn't what we should have done. And, and we ended up, unfortunately, our gut was right. And what we did was was not. Totally. But I mean, I think that's also part of it is 
you have a lot of those choices too. You guys have made probably the better decision in the sense of you guys went with sustainable packaging after a journey of figuring out the best way to do it. You probably haven't done it the cheapest way by any means, but you did it the best way. How important is that decision in building a business of, you know, you can take those shortcuts, but how important is it not to take the shortcuts and just do it right? Yeah, no, I think there's a lot of pressure to do things and cut corners and to squeeze every single penny out to get the best margins. And of course, like we want to have a healthy margin and we want to have a sustainable financial business as well. I mean, because at the end of the day, like you need to have that to be able to keep going and to stay in business. But I do think, you know, one of the things that we did early on that I don't know if, everyone agreed at the time. But what I think really was smart was that we did build infrastructure in a facility. So we're the only maple water dedicated facility in the world to make sure that we had the best tasting product. It never went bad. We can ensure that we could supply this year round. And I mean, it was a lot of money to be able to do that for a very small business. And I think that that ultimately led us to where we are because all of our other US competitors at the time had to close their doors because of, you know, certain quality type issues. They all were different, but what led us to be different is because we did spend that money up front to be able to ensure that quality. And so at the end of the day, we take quality extremely seriously. If there's one person writes in that <laughs> that something is off, like I want to know everything about it and make sure like that we are taking care of, first of all, every single customer and every single thing to make sure that we have the best tasting and always highest quality product. And ultimately, again, some people think I probably spend too much time looking at those. I read every single customer email. So, but that is just such a core value in part of the fabric of the soul of our company. Well, I think customers are, I mean, they're the lifeblood of a company. And I think paying attention to what the customer says in the sense of getting their feedback is hugely important. I mean, they, they're your advocates. I mean, I can't tell you how many people have had maple water now because of me, because I'm like, you have to try this. You have to try this because it's just one of those, you get excited about it for some reason. Like it's just, it's so different. It's so unique, but from my perspective, it's so delicious. Do you feel like there was a, like, have you gotten those first reactions of maple water? Cause I think there's a perception of what it should taste like. It's kind of like maple syrup, but not, is it water? Is it not like, what is that first taste experience usually that you see? People are all the time. They're very nervous. So like, I'm usually scared, which is honestly a very, <laughs> just being transparent. That's a problem, right? Because if you're pulling it off the shelf, some people are intrigued and pull it off the shelf. So we definitely get people that pull it off the shelf, but then a lot of people be like, Oh, I'm scared. I'm like, why are you scared? <laughs> what? And then they'll try. I'm like, Oh, whoa. Wow. Oh my God. This is amazing. And then like, this is great. Like, this is so much better than coconut water. Wow. It's not sugary. And like people will go through that range of emotions of like, Whoa, this is amazing. And similar, like you said, it's like, then they get so passionate about it and loyal. They want to tell their friends. And so that's really, I mean, our returning customer rate online is like through the roof. It's so high because once people have that, they keep coming back. Our challenge is getting somebody to pull it off the shelf because they are scared that they're going to be either drinking syrup or that it's going to taste like coconut water and they hate coconut water or that it's, 
They just don't know what to expect. And so the more we can get this in the hands of people to try in a cost-effective way, the better. Yeah, totally. For me, I don't like coconut water at all. I've always tried to like it. You know, you're like, man, I know this is hydrating, but I want to give it a shot. And it just, I never enjoy it. I have tried all the different types of them, the different companies, they do taste different, but none of them just worked. And then I saw maple water and I was like, you know what, let's try this. And that was kind of the approach to it. And I think that that openness to try just something different, I think more of the market's open to doing that now, but just because there's there's so much creativity right now going on in food and beverage of, you know, what a beverage can be, how it can be different. And I think people are now, I've seen people do actual tasting flights of just water, like how are different waters taste and they rank them. So I think that's definitely part of the journey. But yeah, I, I mean, I've seen that, that side of people being almost scared to try it. They're like, oh, I don't, I don't know about this. And then there's the whole like cold room temperature, like how do you have it? And I think there's a preference for everybody on that side too. So I think it's just such a unique beverage that I don't know, I think everybody should definitely try, but I'm a person who loves maple syrup and definitely maple water. So I just think it kind of goes hand in hand. Well, it's, it's funny you say that. Cause I think sometimes that people that come up to us, like, I love maple syrup. I have dreams of like drinking maple syrup. Sometimes they're the ones that are almost disappointed because it's not, I mean, it tastes a little bit like maple, but you're definitely not guzzling syrup. And so whenever someone comes up, like, I love this. This is my dream. Oh, I was like, oh God, maybe they're not going to like it. I mean, they typically end up liking it, but at the same time, it's not fulfilling those like syrupy, sugary, like seeing an elf where he's eating all the syrup and the candy and all that. So, but we're so happy that you found us and people like you that are just willing to try it and then being able to share with all their friends, because that's for an emerging brands like us, that's so key for our awareness and growth. So that, because again, like for us to just run sales at the store, people really aren't going to just pull it off the shelf because we're not another version of a beverage brand that's already out there. Yeah. How does that work in terms of product awareness and getting new customers? I mean, I know you guys have a strong e-commerce presence. You guys are in retail, but what does that process look like when you're trying to compete? I mean, whether it's on a shelf or on e-commerce. Yeah. So I think, you know, on the shelf, it's very, retail is extremely expensive and this could be like a whole podcast in and of itself, but distribution expensive, retail is expensive, but then also being able to stay on the shelf. And so you've got to be hitting certain numbers. People need to be buying your product and hitting those numbers to stay on the shelf because it's so competitive. So there's so many people pitching to get their products on the shelf and to get one on, you got to take another off. So if you're not performing, you're done. And so I think that can be very stressful to make sure that you're spending enough, but again, making sure you're not spending too much and then going out of business. So it's a really fine balancing act. I think for us, one of the things, I mean, pre-COVID, we did a lot of sampling in stores, but really where our loyal customers found us was either after, you know, we do races and either after a running race or a workout or something where people really felt the effects of the hydration. And those really, we found loyal consumers that way, because it's different than pushing your cart around the grocery store. Cause that's, you're evaluating that a little bit more just on taste rather than you know, if it's a small Dixie cup, you're not feeling, wow, the magical benefits of this product. And so that's where I found doing different types of events 
whether it be charity rides or things like that. And and again, we we have to be really targeted region-wise because we're very small. So doing that across the country is it's not feasible <laughs> for us. So right now, yeah, we're targeted in certain regions and retail. Then we have the e-com business, which grew a lot during COVID. And then the third component, we actually sell bulk ingredient maple water to other in a B2B context to other food and beverage companies to use as a functional no sugar added ingredient for them to you know, formulate with. So what kind of applications are these businesses using it for? Because that to me is super intriguing. Like, are they adding it to, is it like if they have a maple bar on the shelf, are they adding that as like the maple flavor? Yeah. So that's actually one of them. Oh my gosh. That's <laughs> and that's, great I would guess. say that <laughs> application is usually, everyone's really usually surprised by that one, that that one of our customers is, our logo is not on that package. So I am not going to share who it is, but it is a nationally found, very well-known bar. And they use it because it does add flavoring. It adds functionality, but it also, it doesn't add added sugar. So if you use syrup, then you would have to include it added sugars, which was the new nutrition label with the FDA dictated. So they use that for the most part, it's though used in like beverages, coffee. So maple water, cold brews, juice. So in a green juice, instead of using apple juice or coconut water or something like that, they'll use maple water to be able to add function and flavor, but not just be diluting with plain water or adding sugar alcohol. So athletic brewing, or this is not alk, but athletic brewing did a non-alk beer and they brewed it with our maple water, which was, they did a test or a small batch of that a couple times, which was really cool. We've got many people in cannabis that are experimenting with it. We've got, yeah, a lot of juice trying to think what else is wellness shots. So like ginger shots and things like that. And at home, I do that a lot by the ginger lemon and then cutting it a little bit. So it's not, you know, super spicy, but that's a great thing to use it for as well. So there's so many things that, you know, these companies can do. And it's cool because it's just being, it's something new and different, but also really hitting on every single one of the benchmarks that people are trying to accomplish when they're formulating products. Have you guys thought about going into creating products in those categories or just kind of staying in your lane with the water and then partnering with the companies that are focusing on that? Yeah, we've thought about it. Coffee was one of the ones that came up a lot. So like you see the vision of like Drink Simple having you know more of an energy line and And as we grow, I'm not saying that we won't do that, but there are so many coffee companies out there that are like doing coffee right. And so it's like, why not be a bit more agnostic and to partner with those companies rather than for us to come out with a competing product? So never say never, we could always come out with something, but our philosophy at this point is to really partner with those companies that are doing well alcohol, for instance, there's a whole different set of rules with distribution and alcohol. And we don't have an alcohol distributor set up. Not to say we couldn't do it, but again, staying focused and doing what we do best and letting and partnering with people that can do those things best is our current strategy. That's awesome. And so where do you guys think you're going to be in six months, year, two years, five years? I mean, what's kind of the future of the whole Drink Simple brand? Yeah. So I think our brand, we're strategically growing our retail presence. So I do see 
you know, hopefully in five years that we will be nationally distributed and we'll do it in a financially stable way that we can, like I said, continue to stay on those store shelves and making sure we're performing extremely well in every door that we go into. So the goal is to get to be that national brand that where you're going. I mean, my dream has always been that you can walk into a convenience store and you can find this healthful hydration so that you're not choosing between plain water and soda. And so it'd be different types of convenience stores are definitely adding more of those products. But again, it's a lot of them right now. It's okay. We'll bring you in for six months. You pay all this money and then they show you right out the door and another one comes in. And so to be able to avoid that cycle, it's really, you need to grow the customer base and the awareness. But that vision has always been, I want to have people be able to have this hydration that's healthful, delicious. It's faster hydrating than plain water available to them no matter where they go. So that's the dream on that side. And then on the ingredient side, it's really, I think in, I would say a year, you'll start seeing maple water a lot in a lot more products that are on the shelf. There's a lot in formulation and R&D right now that are slated for the 2023 year to come out. So that's the start. And I just, I have visions of there'll be thousands of products on the shelf that you'll turn around and on the label, you'll see maple water. That's so exciting. I'm so pumped for you guys, especially as you continue to expand and to see all those products. I mean, Boulder is kind of one of those natural hubs for natural food and beverage. It's it's huge. And I would imagine we'll be seeing it out here, especially at the expos and all that kind of stuff too. It's it's probably going to be huge. Yeah, thank That's you. awesome. So do you remember your first sustainable purchase you ever made? That where you were consciously sustainable about it. You're like, this is, I'm buying this because it's sustainable. Oh, that's a great question. I don't actually. I'm trying... I guess maybe as a kid, probably more so than as an adult was in being really aware of sustainability was probably first introduced to me through Patagonia. So grew up ski racing and there was, we would go to, there was an outlet that my mom would take us to to shop at Patagonia. And I just have very strong memories of them handing out these bags. We still have them to this day, actually. So this was in the nineties and there are these bags that were made out of fabric that were essentially upcycled. They weren't saying it was upcycled, but they were from the fabric of the clothes and they made these bags with drawstrings and my siblings and I are <laughs> super lazy at wrapping Christmas gifts. And so we like <laughs> have these bags and like every, we would like fight over who got these upcycled Patagonia bags and we could stuff our, and we'd use them year after year after year and we still have them. So I think that's probably the first time I really was aware of choosing a company for their sustainability values and saw it in practice and making changes rather than just giving you a plastic bag, which was, again, it was the nineties. So it was most other companies were doing that. Oh my God. That's such a good story though. I mean, it's been in the DNA of Patagonia to think that way, but that's incredible application of it. Cause I mean, now gifts around the holidays, you don't want to wrap it. Cause you're like, this is literally just going to go into landfall or go 
into the recycle and if it's actually going to get recycled. So how's a better way to wrap something? And that is brilliant. I love that. Yeah. So they would give them out for around, you know, holiday time, they would give them to you for your Christmas holiday gifts. And yeah. And then we just, we kept them. I love (laughs) that. I would like to say that like my siblings and I were just trying to conserve wrapping paper to be honest. It was like, we just didn't want it. (laughs) (laughs) That is awesome. And what is your favorite place to enjoy nature? Oh, that's a great question. (laughs) I would say, so I spent in the summer, spend a bunch of time on Nantucket in the constant. So when people think of Nantucket, typically they think of the main street and partying or the brewery or just kind of the hustle and bustle of the nightlife. And I, when I'm on Nantucket, I live the complete opposite of that. There's so much conservation land. I'm blanking on the stat, but the majority of the island is conservation land and the running on Nantucket in the conservation lands away from people. You can get lost. I mean, you do like 20 mile runs and you're not running in the same spot. It's absolutely gorgeous. And I hate to even say this on the podcast so that people are <laughs> I'm like, keep it as a secret, but it's just one of the most beautiful places to be in nature and to run and to connect with nature. And yeah, it's just such a treasure that most people really just don't even know exists. That's incredible. Yeah. I always found running to be one of the best ways to immerse in nature and especially the long runs when you're running at least 10 miles, you go to some places that you don't really go unless you're running and you see some really cool stuff and you're just, you're out there. It's very humbling to go on those really long runs for sure. Yes. And you see, again, like you said, you see these places that you never would go to unless you were running. It's too far. Well, I guess some people walk it, but for the most part, it's like too far for a walk. There's nothing really out there. And I think, and especially when you see, you know, the wildlife and deer and all of this wildlife running just around, it's, you're really out there with no one else around. It can be very powerful. Oh, it's so cool. So how can people get involved with just everything maple water related, drink simple related, is it websites, socials? How can they get involved? Everything. So yeah, our website's drinksimple.com. Instagram is drinksimple. TikTok is drinksimple. Don't laugh at me. I run the TikTok. Our Twitter is the only thing that is different. It's drink underscore simple. We have not gotten a hold of the <laughs> one word yet. But yeah, you can find us website, social, drop us a note. Our email is Kate and Jeff at drinksimple.com. So always love to hear from people. And if you heard about it on the podcast and how you discovered us, I always love hearing people's stories and then what they think. That's awesome. Well, Kate, thank you so much for everything. I'm so excited for this to get out there and for people to try more of the maple water. I'm an advocate, obviously. I'm always stocked up on it. Fridge, cupboard. I mean, it's, it's everywhere. So Thank you so much for taking the time and just educating people on how much of a solution this is actually as a sustainable beverage, but also from the sustainability aspect of the body too. I mean, it's healthy, less in sugar, and it's really hydrating. So thank you so much. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Sustainable Goat. Now, if you're near a store that is selling maple water, definitely give it a try. And even though I have a store nearby, I order them online and get them shipped directly to my door. So give it a try and let Kate and me know what you think of it. And thanks again to Kate for being a part of the podcast and sharing the story of Drink Simple. If you have been enjoying these episodes, share your favorite one with a friend or post it on social media. 
Your support goes a long way, and the more the community grows, the more impact that we can have on the world. Thanks again for listening to this episode of Sustainable Goat.